serve a good, good God, don't we? So we're, you're going to fill in the blank. I'm just going to begin with God is, and you tell me who God is according to the scriptures. Um, God is perfect, faithful, holy, creator, merciful, father, lovely, loving, righteous, forgiving, wonderful, beautiful. You guys were ready to speak today. He's a good, good God, isn't he? All the time. You know, I was thinking that somebody uh, made a comment that God is creator. He's also sustainer. Uh, everything is upheld by the Lord. We're so thankful for that, aren't we? And uh, I am so thankful to see all of you today. Um, visiting, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're really glad that you're part of our service. We got to meet a few of you this morning, and uh, we're glad you're here to worship the Lord with us, and that's what we do here. We center our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word uh, through song and through the study of His Word. So I hope you're ready for that, and um, wanted to begin this morning with just a reminder of the section that we're covering in 1 John. Someone said the other night, yes, he's still in 1 John. But you will say that come November, likely. So um, take your Bibles and go to First John. I want to be reminded about the section that we're in. And um, I'd like for you to stand as we read the Word of God. First John chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 12 through 17 because that's kind of a section. And then we'll be reminded this morning of what we'll cover as we... Uh, wrap up verse uh, 17 uh, today. So John writes and he says, I am writing to you little children. Remember that word means born ones because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers and remember there in this section he's talking about the stages and spiritual maturity and growth and so he refers to some as fathers, some as children different term from little children and then some as young men. He says, I'm writing to you, um, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, different term, because you know the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So obviously in the context, he's writing to believers. And he's writing about them. He's writing about their stages of where they are in their, in their uh, walk with the Lord. But then he gives them a warning as to what impedes that walk, that fellowship that we need as believers. And one of the things I was telling someone before church, this has been really difficult for me just to kind of process everything in terms of what John is saying, because I think that, um, I think it's tied to the fact that I've, I've been saved for 50 years and I've been in church for a long time and you get to, used to Christian terminology and, and sometimes um, without thinking too much about that Christian terminology, if that makes sense. In other words, there's, there's words thrown out, things thrown out like 
relationship, fellowship, but really thinking through what that means and, and kind of how uh, everything goes together um, and how they're connected and such. I think sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to, to process the importance of that fellowship piece. So he's telling us in 15 to 17, his, his Christian readers, these are the things that impede fellowship. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can't love the world and love the Father. Those things can't happen at the same time. For all that is in the world, and this is kind of the guts of it, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. That's good news, right? But the one who does the will of God... Uh, abides, and that's the word there, it's the word abide, abides forever, and that word forever there is the word age, and it's the same word that um, Matthew is used in Matthew's gospel when the Lord tells his disciples, I'll be with you until the end of the age, so that's the idea of that word, you can read that and kind of get confused there, and I don't want you to be confused. Um, he says, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides unto the age. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we worship him together. I'm going to give you a minute or so to just spend time with the Lord in prayer, and then, and then I'll pray and, and we'll continue our service. Father God, as we were talking about who you are, um, David pointed out that you're good all the time. And you are good all the time. We can count on that. We can count on you. Um, your word tells us that you never change. Lord, thank you for that because we live in a changing world. It, it ever changes, and to know that how that impacts us and impacts our emotions and our thoughts and such, it's nice to be able to land back on my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So help us to be thankful for what we have if we're saved today. Help us to be thankful for that salvation, and help us to long more for the fellowship for that intimate time with you on a daily basis. I think all of us who are saved would say, we need your help in that. And can we just praise you that you've given us the helper, the Holy Spirit, who resides in us, that can and will help us with that. Because we know, as the Lord Jesus told the disciples, um, he lives in us, and uh, he leads us into all the truth. So I pray that you would help us to be people who enjoy that fellowship, that time together with you, 
as we have opportunity that, Lord, my prayer is that we would long for it more and more and more. I pray that for myself first, and I pray that for all in here who belong to you. May we be grateful people, and may today, Lord, um, we be people who are consecrated, uh, set apart in our worship to you, that you would remove the distractions, and there are many, remove those distractions from us so that we might be able to concentrate on giving you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I believe right now we have a prelude that Linda is going to do. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
such a beautiful arrangement of a wonderful hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. And it says in that song, Let the Amen sound from his people again. Are we going to do that this morning? We're going to let the Amen, we're going to praise to the Lord. So let's just all join in on that song, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Let's all stand and sing, may we?
wonderful, merciful Savior. And all about everything that was mentioned a few minutes ago when we uh, yelled out what Jesus or what God means to us. Wonderful, merciful Savior.
Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. She listened to a song the choir sings. We sung it several times, and many of you know this song. So we're going to invite you to help us out and sing it with us. Because his grace, as we sing amazing grace, his grace is so amazing. It says, your grace still amazes us. Sing along with the choir, would you?
Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful, merciful Savior and the wonderful grace that you have amazed us with. Father, it's something that only you can do. And Lord, you have bestowed it upon us, Lord, because we know we're not deserving. Lord, we know that there was nothing we could do to earn this grace that you have given to us. And the gift of salvation that you have offered to us. So Lord, we've just come this morning to praise you and to honor you and to love you as a corporate body of believers here. Lord, we lift up our worship to you this morning. And Father, we just pray that as we leave here today, Lord, that we're not the ones who are to be blessed, Lord, but that you are the one to be blessed, that you are the one to be honored. And Lord, we want to speak well of you this morning in everything that we do through our time of worship and singing, our time of worship and praying, our time of worship and sharing your word to us. Lord, we all give it back to you because it all belongs to you. So, Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, we pray for our pastor Thad as he comes and brings the word to us. And, Lord, just speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that your spirit will touch each and every one of our hearts that are here this morning, that are listening on the, on, on the live stream, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and change us. And as we leave here today, that we will be different than we were when we walked in. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These things I pray in your precious son's name. Amen. Last Sunday night, I got to do something I'd never done before. I got to throw an axe. <laughs> it was unbelievably fun. I got to hang out with the college students. They just rejuvenate me. They give me a lot of energy. I love hanging out with those young people. Um, I pray that I'll always have that desire to hang out with young people. I love children, youth. I love adults too. But I love young people. And uh, last Sunday night we had an opportunity to go to this axe-throwing place in Trustful. I, I don't know how to give you directions, but go to Trustful and it's in the center of Trustful. And this place was just awesome. And it, it was just... You get, you, you, you get to put that axe back here. Boom, throw that baby. And launch it into the wall. It was so much fun. It took me a while to get one into the wall, but once I did, my expectation was every single time I wanted to go into that wall. Two times, Holly took pictures. Both times, it didn't go into the wall. <laughs> There's a reason for all this. Tonight... Uh, the College and Career meeting for, at 6 o'clock here for Bible study. And then we're going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We will not throw wings. <laughs> we will eat the wings. So you come here at 6 o'clock for a Bible study. And then we will uh, head out over to 
buffalo wild wings and eat some wings. I have had to go primarily, I can't say all the time, but I've had to go to the grilled stuff, which really is painful um, <laughs> because it's more healthy. But um, it'll be a great time. Looking forward to that. I hope that uh, if you're available, college and career, you come uh, to that and we'll fellowship together around the word. And then we'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings and hang out together. So, All right. Well, we need the help of the Lord. And so we're going to ask him for it. So why don't we all bow and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is your love letter to us. Not only about the great love that you demonstrated toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But you've also given us, once we come to faith in Christ, you've given us um, clear instruction on how we are to live. And that we're not to live for the things of this world. We're not to set our minds on the things that are here. But we're to set our minds on the things above. And we would all admit that, Lord, to you, that that's difficult at times. Um, probably a good many times where there is that temptation to love the world and the things in the world. So we need your help to understand better what we would do. We need your help to understand better what you desire in terms of a fellowship with you, Father. And so we're just depending on your spirit today uh, to lead us as we study uh, your word. And all this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever got into your vehicle, put the key in the ignition, turned it over, started it, and the check engine light stays on? That ever happened to you? What happens to you when you see that? When it stays on, there's just a part of you that your stomach just kind of sinks like, oh no, I don't know what to do when the check engine light comes on except to go get it checked out. Because even if I knew exactly what the problem was, I would not be able to fix it. I think in the Christian life, in terms of our life as a believer, there are times when that check engine light comes on. And what I mean by that is that we're not maybe where we need to be in our fellowship with the Lord. And that light's on, and it's just glaring. And as you get older in the Lord, isn't it true that you know clearly when you're out of fellowship with the Lord? I found that to be true in my life. I, I can't speak for yours, but I found that to be true as I get older in the Lord. I am more aware of the times when I am not walking in fellowship with the Lord. And as I've gotten older in the Lord, I've come to understand the things that might be stumbling blocks as it relates to maturing spiritually and to that fellowship that the Lord so desires for us. Well... It's clear, as I mentioned earlier, that John is writing to a group of believers as he addresses them, fathers, young men, and children. 
And his desire is they would pay attention to the things that would interrupt that fellowship. What interrupts the fellowship that we need to have with the Lord? And we investigated that in chapter 1, and now we're in chapter 2, and we come to a very, very hard lesson. I think it's hard because we're forced to kind of deal with whether it's true or not in our lives. Does that make sense? In other words, we have to kind of take a self-assessment. Do I love the world, and do I love the things of the world? A very difficult subject, one that, um, however, demands that we assess. As we looked at um, last week, and I wanted to remind you of, um, the main point in 15 through 17, if you're just going to summarize those verses, is do not love the world, love the Father. Okay? What does it mean to love the Father? That word, ter- that term love is the term here, agapao, and it means to make a volitional decision to love the Father. It's a volitional choice that one has to love the Father. Just like it is a volitional choice that one would make to love the world and the things in the world. Does that make sense? So you're either and I'm either going to make a decision every day to love the Father or to love the world or the things in the world. I want to remind you of something very important. There can be victory in this. We can go day to day to day loving the Father and fellowshipping with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, because, and this is very critical, if we belong to the Lord, we have the Spirit of God that resides in us. And He's our helper. So I think sometimes people walk around with this maybe a defeated mindset. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And you can in your own strength do this. But with the helper, the Holy Spirit, we certainly can enjoy intimacy with the Father. Does that sound good? Right? We can do that. There can be victory uh, for us as believers. Um, And we need the help of the Spirit to be able to enjoy that intimacy, that fellowship with the Father. I know one of the things that the Lord has reminded me of in this, just through illustration, is that I have three sons. And they will always be my sons. Isn't that great? As long as I am alive on this earth, and as long as they are alive on this earth, I have three sons. These three sons are Caleb, Micah, and Andrew. It is hard to believe that I have a 30-year-old son because I look so young. (laughs) But I have a 30-year-old son, and I have a 28-year-old son, and I have a 24-year-old son about to be 25. And that's never going to change. They're always going to be my sons, and I'm always going to be their father. But fellowship with my sons is something that is a discipline. I make a decision to have fellowship with my sons. They make a decision to have fellowship with their father. We make a decision, don't we, to have fellowship with our heavenly father. And one of the things that, um, I was going to use this illustration later, but the Lord wants me to do it now. One of the things that, I remember and recall from my time away in New York State when I was serving up there as associate pastor at Berean Bible Church. 
is we were so far away from home. One of the things I remember in 1993 that my mother told me at Christmas time, she said, Dad, your father misses your fellowship. You know, we moved to a foreign land. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> Polar ice cap, that kind of thing, really cold. Um, and we were literally, it seemed like in another country. We were 24 hours away from where my father rested his head. I'll never forget Mom saying that. He missed your fellowship. As I was thinking about that in relationship to my Heavenly Father, who is my Heavenly Father, when I'm not fellowshipping, boy, I should miss that fellowship. And you know what's amazing? He misses it. He wants us to have fellowship with Him. Well, there are things that interrupt that fellowship, and that's kind of what we began talking about last week, and the world can interrupt that fellowship. So He tells us and tells His audience in verse 15... Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this week, we come to kind of the guts of it. I gave you on your outline, introduction, body, and conclusion. You remember that? I talked about Mr. Benoit, who was my English teacher. And he always talked about introduction, body, and conclusion. And so last week was the introduction. This week is the body and the conclusion. We want to finish this section this morning. But in this section, in verse 16, he begins to talk about the things. He kind of puts, kind of puts some um, meat to the bone, so to speak, as it relates to not loving the things of the world, and he describes those things. But I want us to read this verse, and I want to I define some things I think that are very, very important uh, for us as we un- hope to understand this better. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes... And the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. In other words, it does not originate from the Father. Evil does not originate with the Father. He is not the author of evil. But is from the world. John makes that very, very clear. But there are a couple of terms that we need to understand here in order to appreciate what John is saying. One of them is lust and one of them is boastful pride. We're going to deal with boastful pride first. It simply means this. It's the promotion of self. But I want you to think about it in this way. It's the promotion of self over what God has already said. You understand? It's the promotion of self over what God has already said. In other words, this is the word of God. This is what he has said This is how I am to live. These are the things I am to do. But I can get to a point in my walk as a Christian where I say, well, no, I'm going to do it. And at that point, it's boastful pride. I have elevated myself above what I know God's will is. Does that make sense? In other words, if God says, hey, Thad, you are to love your wife like Christ loved the church, for me not to do that is to elevate myself above over what God's already said, and I say, Lord, I'm not going to do that. See, so much of the Christian life is decision-making. It is everyday decision-making. It's an everyday decision that I make to love my wife as Christ loved the church. It's an everyday decision not to let unwholesome words proceed from my mouth, but only words that are good for necessary edification. You could make just a running list of the things that God desires. But when I say no, 
When I'm disobedient, then I put myself over what God has designed for me to do or to not do. And we're going to look at an illustration of that in a few moments. So he uses that boastful pride of life, but then he also uses the term lust, and he uses it twice. This is a pretty interesting study when you do a word study on the word lust. Um, we need to understand, uh-oh, we need to understand the term itself. The Greek word that John uses means to have an intense desire for some particular thing. Okay, so it's this desire for something. All of us understand that word desire. So when you look at that word lust, you need to think of it in terms of desire. Um, and I think there's a reason for that because not all the time is desire used in a negative way in the scriptures. Okay, God gives us desires. We know that. Some of the desires that we have, right? If we have a desire to fellowship with the Lord, that's a great desire, is it not? If we have a desire to love our wives like the Lord wants us to, that's a great desire. If we have a desire to be submissive and respectful to our husbands, that's great desire. Okay? We typically think of lust and desire in a negative connotation. But the Bible does have illustrations of the word desire being used in a positive manner, in a good manner. Now, in this particular context that John speaks of here, it's something outside of the will of God <laughs> that he's referring to. But there are examples in the Bible where the term desire is used, and it's in a good good manner. Let me give you three examples of that before we get to what's going to be very hard for us to hear. In Luke 22, right before the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross to die for our sins, according to the scriptures, as the Bible tells us, it says he's with his disciples and it says, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired, same word, same word, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Same idea. There was a strong, intense desire on the part of our Savior to eat Passover with his disciples. Same term John uses. And it, I think that's interesting, considering the fact that John was there with the Lord. Okay? Another example, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul uses it twice. Once in Philippians chapter 1, Paul uses this term... Desire, He says, I am hard-pressed from both directions. Remember what had just been stated? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And then he says, but I, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That was a real intense desire on the part of the apostle Paul, which is a great lesson for us, we should have an intense desire to depart and be with Christ. There is nothing wrong with that, okay? I think some people might look at that and go, oh, we shouldn't have it. We should have that desire. I'm not saying we walk around and go, well, I want to die today. That's, that's not the idea. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul's like, I have a desire to depart and to do what? Be with Christ. Don't we? Or maybe it could be that at times we're so tied to the world that we forget that this is not our home. 
Our citizenship is not here. So for some, when you look at that and you think, man, he had this intense desire to depart, some people might look at that as being pretty radical. But I don't think it is. Based on the last phrase, he wants to depart because he knows to depart means to be with Christ. So it, 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 it just brings out the verse like, right? To be absent from the body is to do what? It's to be present with the Lord. And I can tell, looking around here, unless the Lord comes back in the next 50 years, a lot of us are going to depart. And we're going to be with Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it like, just like Tony Evans says, that heaven is a promotion, not a demotion? <laughs> I think Tony Evans kind of said it the same way Paul did, just in different language. But here it is. He says, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Not a little bit better, you know? It's not like, oh, well, we're going up a notch. No, 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 no. And you know what makes heaven so great? Christ. 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 He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He paid the penalty for our sin. And by trusting in what he did for me on the cross at Calvary, I'm free from the penalty of sin forever. Isn't that great? It is great because there are going to be a lot of people that are going to die in their sins and be apart from the Lord forever. Well, that's not the only time that Paul uses the term. He uses it in a moment where he's wanting to be, the, uh, recalls a testimony where he's wanting to be with the Thessalonian believers. He says, but we, brethren... Having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire, same term, to see your face. And one of the things that happens, and it happens to you too, you meet Christians from around the world. Do you ever have moments in time where you just have a desire to see their face? That ever happened to you? I mean, Furpos are here this morning. Terry's here. I love Brian and Terry and their family. It's great to see your face, right? I mean, isn't that part of Christianity and, and the fellowship is the desire to be with other believers? And when we don't have that and we miss that, and you think about the investment that Paul had made in the lives of these people. Well, there is good desire, as Scripture speaks to. But in the context of 1 John 2, uh, that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, he's talking about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. That's what he's talking about. Well, there's some warnings in the Bible as it relates to lust. I don't think this is necessarily going to be new for you um, at all, but I think it's going to be a good reminder of the warnings that God gives to those who belong to him. This is very, very important. He's given these warnings. All of the verses I'm about to use are written to believers. So we don't ever need, and I hope this comes out right, we don't ever need to get to the point where we say, well, they may have fallen away from the Lord they may be out of fellowship with the Lord. That's not going to happen to me. I think that's a dangerous position. I'm just sharing my, my thoughts with you on that. 
And I think that Paul, if he was here, and John, if he was here, and James, if he was here, would say the same things. Here's the first warning. This comes in the context of sanctification in the book of Revelation. So there's the justification piece, and now he's into the sanctification aspect of the Christian life in Romans chapter 6, and he's talking about what it means to be set apart and to live for the Lord. And he says in verse 11 and 12, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be alive to God in Christ Jesus? You want me to tell you what it means? It means to bring glory and honor to the Lord through our lives. That's what it means. It means that we are consumed with bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means this. We have to be aware of every word and every action. That's a pretty good discipline, wouldn't you say? If I'm walking around in my Christian life thinking about every word that I say and every action that I take. Do you think God cares about every word I say? Do you think God cares about every action? <laughs> Boy, that's one of those where you're like, you know, you kind of swallow and go, <clears throat> yeah, he does. Listen, I'll be the first to say, like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. But you know what I'm thankful for? First John chapter 1, verse 9, I confess that sin. And then I'm back in fellowship with the Lord. Aren't you glad we can be back in fellowship with the Lord? Notice what he says to them. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, therefore... Do not let sin reign. That word reign there was this, is a word that you, is used to refer to kings ruling over a kingdom. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. How does that happen? Is that possible that sin would reign in the life of a believer? I think some would question that. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let iniquity have dominion or rule over me. I was saved when I was seven. I know it for a fact. When I was 15 to 17... There were many times I didn't act like I was a Christian. I'm just being honest with you. You ever had those seasons? My season was at that time. You say, Thaddy, you had not had any seasons since then? Well, sure I have. But you know what? As you get older in the Lord, those are harder, aren't they? Because you're fully aware of your sin. I would just encourage us to think through the fact that Paul here is concerned with the believer's in their sanctification, he's saying, hey, don't let sin reign like a king reigns over a kingdom. Don't let that happen in your mortal body so that you would obey its lust. Whew. By the way, all that takes in practical, you want some practicality here, that just takes one wrong step this way or one wrong step this way. And the next thing you know, you're in the middle of it and you're like, how did I get here? Well, I know these are hard things to hear. But rest assured that the Lord has dealt with me uh, over and over again. 
with these passages. Well, in Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, he's listing out some of the sin issues that Christians face. He doesn't want them where they were. He says, let us behave, and that word behave means walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity. Can I say this? Be delighted, husbands, with your wife. Wives, be delighted with your husbands. When was the last time somebody said that from a teaching platform? Sounds, kind of sounds weird probably to the young people to say that. It's the truth. We live in a world where it's going to be with this person this weekend, and this person next weekend, and this person the next weekend. and Even in marriages, there are struggles with that. And so we have to be careful that we are remaining under what I call the umbrella of protection that God has designed for us. So he says, non sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. And we tend to think about what we would maybe label as major sins, but strife and jealousy are problems. You know, there, there, there was strife in the Philippian church. Paul had to call out two people. In chapter 4, imagine that letter being written. Oh, we're going to read what Paul wrote. Da, 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 da. Hey, you two get along in the Lord. Did he just say our name? <laughs> right? So he says here, not in a strife or jealousy. Notice what he says, but put on, and that word there has the idea of clothing yourselves. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. Put him on how often? Every day. Put him on every day. Put him on. I think there's room here for a one-time put him on, but an everyday put him on. Right? I need to make that decision that I'm not going to be governed by the flesh, but I'm going to be controlled by the Spirit of the Lord. So he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So this is not just a term that is used one time. There's several different over 35 times he uses the term, or the term is used in the New Testament. And I think it's 38 total, and of the 38, 35 are used in a negative connotation, and the other three we looked at this morning. <laughs> so there's one more that I want to share with you, and that's from James. And remember, this is very important. James is written to believers, okay? James is written to believers, um, and in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, he says, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. This is, I had a pastor tell me years ago, at first I didn't know how to take it, okay? But you know why? Because I was serving under him. <laughs> but I was 26 years old, and Pastor Stam said, Thad... I want to have a conversation with you. and It's personal. And I said, okay. And he said, you need to identify the weaknesses that you have in your life. I was like, pretty uncomfortable. I thought, well, you need to identify the weaknesses you have in your life. <laughs> but I couldn't do that because he's my boss. And he's giving me wisdom at the time. I don't know that initially I took it like that. But I'll never forget walking out of that office thinking, yep, 
I do. Can I encourage us all to think that way? Identify those things in our lives that can become real problems. I know in 32 years I've counseled people that have sat in front of me and did not believe for one second they'd ever be in the position they were. You say, how does that happen? Well, you just take one step in the wrong direction. And it's a slippery slope. Well, he says, then when lust is conceived, he gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, now that phrasing is interesting. It means fully grown. When sin's fully grown, look at what it says. It brings forth death. Now, the term there means separation, but it can be spiritual separation, but it can also mean physical death. Sin does bring death. True? Yes. We know that's true. We have illustrations of that. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, sin brought forth pretty immediate death. Right? You think about the Corinthian church, and there was weakness and sickness and death. Um, there's consequences to sin. You know, that's a phrase that we all use, we're all familiar with. We like to say it to the person next to us or in the class. But sin does bring with it consequence. It brought it in David's life, right? Consequence. There's consequence to sin. I think when Paul in Romans, I want to make sure I'm reading this correctly, but I think when Paul in Romans deals with the conflict of the two natures, I think he, I think he really personally is struggling. I, just my belief, he's wrestling because he says, wretched man that I am. He was a saved man. But he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Because remember what he said? The things I don't want to do, I'm doing. The very things I don't want to do. I mean, how many, times, how many of us can relate to that? We're like, you know, we might even be so weird as to look in the mirror one morning and say, I'm not doing that today. I won't tell you that I'm weird, but I've done that before. Bad, I'm not doing that today. But who's our helper? Spirit. He can help us. So that we won't do it. Well, sometimes sins bring, sin brings death. He says, do not be deceived. James says, my beloved brother, and he's talking to believers. Don't be deceived. The word there, deceived, means to be misled. By the way, that is, as a, just that phrasing, don't be misled, is a really good argument for making sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people who stand on the word of God. Don't be misled. So young people, when you're looking for a church, don't be misled. Unless Jesus Christ and the gospel are central, and unless this book is stood on, you don't need to be there. You stand on the word of God. Well, now let's deal with what he says in the passage about this issue of lust. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, 
but it's from the world. See, first of all, he deals with the lust of the flesh. I don't remember what I gave you in your notes, but this is the definition. It's a desire to do something apart from God's will. That ever happened to you? Any of you? Desire to do something apart from the will of God. It is a wrong desire of the heart. You remember the story of Achan? He went down this slippery slope to a point of disobeying the Lord and taking the things that were forbidden under the ban. He sinned. Well, we have a great illustration, and I, I tell you what, every theologian on the planet, I think, uses this illustration. I know, I've read a bunch. But they use the illustration of what took place in the garden when talking about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Here's an example of that. Eve, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, There was a desire there. Well, how in the world did that even get to that point? The serpent. You remember? The serpent. The enemy. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, but she knew that the tree was forbidden... There's times, has there not been in our lives where we look at something, there's a desire there in our heart, and we know it's forbidden. That's how it starts. Then John goes to the lust of the eyes, which speaks of look, something that looks good to one's sight. Right? You think about the progression in David with Bathsheba. And he's out on the rooftop, and he does, he does what he sees her. There is a desire, he sees her, and he acts on that desire. Well, it says in Genesis that Eve, about Eve, that it was a delight to the eyes. Well, we can talk about that for a long time. You know, it begins with that wrong desire, but then we, 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 we just intensely focus on it. And it can be things like coveting something, right? Where it begins with this intense desire and, and we can't take our eyes or our mind off of it. I have to have it. Coveting is not one of those things we talk about a whole lot, but that's a good illustration here it tells us in Genesis that it was to Eve, it was a delight to the eyes. Let me ask you a question. Had God already provided for Adam and for Eve in the garden? Answer, yes. The provision was already there. But boy, I tell you what, that enemy something. You remember what it says in the book of Genesis as it relates to what took place? which leads to this last point that John makes to his readers, the boastful pride of life, that self-exaltation, putting one's desires over the will of God. 
You remember where that started in the garden? I mean, Eve just didn't sit there and go, yeah, yeah, no. The Bible says the serpent comes on the scene. I'm going to read this because it really fits. I wasn't going to read the whole thing, but I am. Chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent said, excuse me, the Bible says, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed has God said. Boy, oh boy. That's where it starts, isn't it? That's where it starts in our lives. As God really said. Isn't it amazing how compromise can be so easy at times? He said to the woman, indeed has God said, you shall not eat from the tree, any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. So yeah, we, we have provision. But, so she knew, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said. I like the way that's worded. Because there's no like wiggle room. God has said. So how much has God said? I'll, I'll, we can all go home and figure it out. There's a lot that God has said to us. God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The servant said to the woman, you surely will not die. Okay, so, hey, indeed as God said, you surely will not die. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Here it is. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see the progression of the enemy? Hey, indeed as God said. Hey, you surely will not die. Hey, you will be like God. Really? So then we have, here it is, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, secondly, and that it was a delight to the eyes, third, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And the Bible says she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. I think that's, if I'm looking at it, I don't want you to misunderstand. It's wrong what Eve did, but I look at what Adam, man, he just did it. Yep, he ate. So this boastful pride of life is putting one's desires over that of the Lord's. Was the command to man and to Eve clear? Answer, yes. But arrogance said, hey, no. I'm going to put... My own desires over that of the Lord. Boastful pride of life. I think Paul here is, I mean, excuse me, John here is sharing with these believers how that looks. This is how that looks. And I think the example of Eve is a great example of that. So, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Conclusion, verse 17. I put this under promises. The world is passing away 
and also its lust. That visual there is it's going away. It means what it says. It's going away. It reminded me of a parade. You like parades? Any of you like parades? There's actually a picture of my whole family when I was probably about, oh, I looked like I was probably seven, eight years old. Picture, I still have it somewhere. A picture of me and my sister and my mom and my dad. And it has, the caption on there is a family in Lake Charles watching the parade. You know what happened? The parade came, but the parade went. It comes, and it goes. How many people you think every year wait on that Macy's Day parade? Boy, they live for that, right? It's like they're on the edge of their seat. They're waiting for that parade to go by. But you know what? It goes by and it's over. There are a lot of illustrations we could use with that. You can't wait for the game. It comes and it goes. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. The things that are on the earth are going away. And last, I was who was I telling? Well, I can't remember that part. Somebody this week. When I was thinking about that, these things go away. I'm thinking, how much money do you think is spent in the United States of America on preservation of our body? <laughs> on this look that we have? I was thinking, you know, in fact, I was reading something. What I look like at 25, I couldn't keep that. In fact, I used to just eat, 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 eat. I love to eat. And I love pizza. And on Saturdays, I'd order big barbecue pizzas from pizza. I'd eat the whole thing. Moved up north. Got around a lot of ladies that like to cook cookies. They're all over my desk. I ate them. Went from a 26 or 28 in the waist to, well, I'm in my mid-30s now. Wow! I don't look like I did. But I want to. Right? That's what the world, that's the message. I want to. So I'm willing to spend any amount of money because, hold on a second, but I am, I'm going away. Even the pagan understands that death's coming. They might not understand what's coming after that, but they, I, I, think about it. How much is spent on things that don't last? But I got great news for you. There is something that can last in this age that we live in, and that is fellowship with the Lord. And you know what? It has eternal value. That is what he says. The world is passing away, also it's us, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. I'm going to give you two viewpoints on that. 
There's two. Some of you have notes. You're reading them and you know there's two. Some look at this as a test of relationship. Those who obey will live forever. Well, the only issue with that is obedience is not a condition for salvation. How's one saved? By grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. So the other view is a fellowship view, which says the one who does the will of God, obedience. You say, well, what's the will of God? Obedience. In the context, obedience is this way. Obeying him to say, I'm not going to love the world nor the things in the world. So the will of God is that I wouldn't love the world or the things of the world. And notice what he says, but the one who does the will of God abides. Fellowships. That's the idea. There's fellowship with the Father when I'm obeying what God has said. Until the end of the age, there's fellowship. I want to ask you a question. Are there times when our fellowship is interrupted? Yes, there are. There are times when our fellowship is interrupted. I read something by an author I thought was really good as it relates to this forever thing that we can enjoy, and I want to read it to you as we close our time. I want to begin with saying this. The Father desires that we abide that we remain close to him. And that can happen. The author wrote this. Do you want something that is lasting? You want something that can last? He writes then, great news. Our loving heavenly father desires that we abide with him. Or fellowship with him on a daily basis. This, as you know, he says, was made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish that earlier in my life I would have understood the principle of fellowship with the Lord. Just being honest with you. I don't know that I've ever heard a whole lot about it. When I was young, I heard about relationship, relationship, relationship. Is that important to discuss? Absolutely. John has points of time where he talks about that. But my abiding with the Lord forever was settled when I was saved. My abiding with the Lord is not conditional. It's not related to obedience. If it was, I think we're all in trouble. But my fellowship with the Lord matters. And that is directly tied to obedience. And if I'm not obeying the Lord, my fellowship with Him is broken. But I want to end with great news. It can be mended through confession of sin. Which as we know easily, easily gets us. When a child is in rebellion, fellowship with parents wanes. It kind of goes 
by the wayside. And as a child, you need to know this. That your mom and dad, always your mom and dad. Always your mother and father. But when a child, and a lot of you know this by experience, when a child who is a believer is out of fellowship with the Lord, it is painful. Hurts. When we're out of fellowship with the Lord, it's painful. And it hurts. So my encouragement to us is that we would listen to what John told these readers, these believers. And that we wouldn't love the world or the things in the world. That we wouldn't waste our time on the things that don't last. But that we would spend our time with the one who is forever. Let's pray together. Father, um, your word seems clear to us that you have for us a protection plan to maintain that fellowship. You tell us not to love the world nor the things in the world. And we would freely admit that we are tempted at times. But you provide a way of escape. You have given to us your spirit that lives in us. So that when the things of the world are literally knocking us on the head, we have a defense system in place, and that is your spirit. And I pray that as Paul wrote, we would submit ourselves to the spirit so that we would not give in to the lust of the flesh. That we would be... um, Believers like Peter wrote to when he gave the instruction as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance but like the holy one who called you Peter wrote be separate be holy in all your behavior and we understand father that we're not going to be perfect and we want to thank you in advance for forgiveness of sin But we do acknowledge that when there is sin, it interrupts that fellowship. Just like in relationships that we have here on earth, when there's sin, it interrupts the fellowship. Help us to be mindful that you want us to live lives of victory and that you've equipped us to do so. So I pray we'd be dependent on your spirit each and every day as we make decisions to live for you. And so we commit all this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May we all stand and let's concentrate on the one alone that we focus on in Christ alone. Let's close out with that. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my 
my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand, in Christ alone, who took on This gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones He came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied And sin on Him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. In the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious pain. Up from the grave He rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, marked with the precious blood of Christ. No This is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, no power of hell, no scheme of man, can ever pluck me from his hand, till he returns or calls me stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll Aren't you glad that we're secure in Christ and that at salvation we were sealed by the Spirit of God? You want assurance? That's it. You were sealed by the Spirit of God on the day of salvation. You are marked, and you can't remove that mark. There's nothing that can remove that mark. You belong to the Lord. And might I close with this? While we belong to the Lord and we are secure in Christ if we belong to Him, uh, we don't have a license to live like we want to live. We need to live according to what God has given. 
uh, to us. It's great to see you, and uh, I hope to see you next week. And we're out of that uh, 15 through 17, so you might be a little more excited about coming and sitting in your seat. But next week, we're going to do a message on uh, fathers. So um, you pray about that, and I'm praying about that. And it's great to see all of you. Great to have Terry Firpo here today. I thought I saw one other one here, Terry. Who's? Huh? That was Caleb. (laughs) Caleb was a little shorter. Caleb can play golf. Caleb's good at golf. I beat him years ago, but I don't know that I could do that now. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy your day. If you're visiting with us, we're thrilled that you're part of our service today. You are dismissed.